guys, this is fantasy author J.H. Fleming. And I'm illiterate fantasy author Philip Dreyer Duncan. And with us, as always, is the man who may have been the original inspiration for Mr. Potato Head. It's Christopher. (laughs) Hi, Chris. Hi, Phil. (laughs) And with us this week is our good friend, author Julie Jones. Hi, Julie. Hi, everybody. Hi. Hello. (laughs) Julie Jones is an award-winning fiction writer from the great state of Oklahoma, where we just were. Yay. And I need to talk about how we met you, which is kind of funny because I don't actually remember the moment we met, but I remember our stepbrothers moment. <laughs> I'm glad that you brought that up, actually, because that is kind of a fun story. I didn't know if you remembered it like I did. So I drove all the way from northeast Oklahoma to Colorado Springs. It took me about 12 hours and I get to the Superstars Conference I go in the first morning. I believe it was the first session of the first day, wasn't it? Maybe the second session of the first day? Maybe. This is starting to ring some bells. Mm-hmm. JH is nodding. I feel like it was the very first session of the very first day. Yeah. And it's a large room, and I'm looking for a place to sit, and I pick a seat next to these nice-looking people that appear like they're not going to be weird or bite my head off. <coughs> and so I sit down next to them. And you could not have been more wrong. (laughs) I was 100% (laughs) correct in my instincts. So I sit down and we begin to talk and I ask you guys where you're from. And it turns out that we live about an hour and a half from each other. Yep. And we had all gone to Colorado Springs for this conference. Was it your first year there too? I think it was, right? Yep. Yeah, it was. Yep. So we were all first timers. And so then later, fast forward to the end of that day. And I was looking on Facebook and the sessions were over and Craig Martell from uh, 20 books to 50 K had put an open call on the superstars page that he was looking for people to go to dinner. And I thought, well, didn't come all the way here to, you know, not do bold things and really go for it and be a superstar. So I walked my little body downstairs to the lobby And I walked right up to Craig Martell and I stuck my hand out and I said, hello, Mr. Martell, I'm Julie Jones and I hear you're looking for people to have dinner. And he said, that's great. We're having steak. (laughs) I said, that sounds good to me. I like steak. I'm from Oklahoma. (laughs) And so we stood there for a couple of seconds, just kind of chit chatting. And then to my great delight, who comes walking up? But my friends, Phil and JH. It was us. I was just Thrilled to see you. And I was like, you guys are riding with me, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, see, that was the thing is I remembered that we'd met you that Mm -hmm. morning, but I couldn't remember like the context around it. Yeah. And I just remember the stepbrothers moment was when we came around the corner because we were like, well, we don't know who we're going to eat with either. And we came around the corner. It was you. And it was like, oh, we know somebody. (laughs) I thought the exact same thing. (laughs) I'm not going to be at a table full of complete strangers. You know, and here's a fun thing about that, too. I keep in touch with every person that was at that table that night. I still talk to everybody that was there. Oh, really? Yep. I still talk to you guys. It's funny you say that because I commented on uh, Robin or R.L. King's Mm -hmm. Facebook today. I saw that. I guess I do as well. I've talked to Craig and her. I didn't really get to know the people that were on the other end, though, so well. Yeah. Yeah. Jonathan will definitely be at Superstars in 24, so he lives in the area, so he'll be there for sure. I'll make sure you guys get to meet him. He's a great guy. Don't know if the other lady will come back, but 
I do still keep in touch with everyone that was there. And it was definitely worth going and got some great connections out of it. And you guys have been a delight ever since. And I'm really pleased to get to know you. Oh, that's uh, a high bar. <laughs> Last week, I got called an a-hole. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying we're not all just a little bit, but, you know, it can't be all sunshine and rainbows, right? That's right. And we've got to plug some of your work. What do you want to talk about? So I actually will have two short stories coming out in anthologies in the next few months. I have got a short story titled Night of Terror coming out in the anthology called Midnight Roost. It's coming out by Wordcrafter Press. First part of October, I don't have a hard release date on that one yet, but it is a scary anthology just in time for Halloween. So who doesn't love just a little bit of thrills and chills right there in that spooky season? Nice. And uh, my particular story is actually a UFO story. I've gone way down that rabbit hole. I 100% believe in UFOs and aliens. Would love to see one. And this story is based on what is supposed to be a true event here in Oklahoma, where some UFOs terrorized a boarding school in the early 70s. So that's what that story is based on. Oh, nice. I like it. It was a lot of fun to write, actually. My other story is titled Out of Habit, and it will be appearing in the Superstars anthology, actually, titled Bit of Luck. And it is an homage to Eric Flint. Eric Flint was one of the founders of Superstars, and he was very well known in the historical fiction circles. That was sort of his area of expertise. And so this anthology is honoring him. And it's coming out probably in February of 24. They usually put it out. We get hard copies at Superstars. And then I believe the book releases right after. And that was a really fun story. That one came to me from the muses, fully formed, and I just had to write it down and turn it in pretty much. It was a lot of fun. Nice. Yeah. And I saw one on your website called Visions. What's that about? So Visions is actually, that was also by Wordcrafter Press. That came out last year. And Kay Booth is the editor for Wordcrafter Press. She is a graduate student of Kevin J. Anderson's master's program. And as part of their master's program, they put together an anthology. His class puts one together every year. And I submitted to it. No, I'm sorry. Let me back up. I submitted to the Superstars anthology and did not make it. And she asked Kevin for permission to use my story in her anthology. So she reached out to me and said, you know, I'm sorry you didn't make it into this anthology. I'd really like to have your story for mine. Are you okay with that? I was like, Absolutely. It's lots easier to sell stories when people ask you for them than, you know, having to sell them. <laughs> oh, it was way easier. So, um, that story is titled <laughs> Tourist Trap, and it is a kind of a twist on a kind of a creature feature sort of thing. And it's a lot of fun. And it came out last year. But what I'm really excited about is my Weird Western series that I'm working on. And I just started book three on that. And I'm planning to rapid release those towards the end of this year. I'm going to put them, you know, about two weeks apart. If I can get everything lined up the way I want. And those are a ton of fun, and I'm having a great time, and the alpha readers are giving me awesome feedback, so I'm really excited about those. Good. We'll have to uh, have you back on whenever they're coming out. I would love and you that. you plug them in real time. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We'll keep being nice to us. <laughs> well, that won't be hard to do. 
So I have one thing to call out here real quick. First of all, hi, Sarah. There, I did that. I know the co-hosts don't know what that's about. It's fine. But I also wanted to mention that we got our first one. Guys, we got our first one. We got our first hashtag Chris Sounds Hot. It happened. Now, one post does viral not make. However, it's worth calling out because anybody who would have read my Blade Mage series knows about the character of Axel. And if they ever bothered to read the dedication, they would know that Axel was based, let's say loosely, on a very (laughs) dear friend of mine that we will refer to as real-life Axel for the rest of this podcast. And it was real-life Axel who was the first hashtag Chris Sounds Hot, which makes so much sense to me. But we got one. Now we need more, because real-life Axel alone cannot make Chris... Well, actually, it's a challenge, real-life Axel. You can't make hashtag Chris Sounds Hot viral. I don't think you can do it. I was going to say, if anybody can do it. (laughs) (laughs) So more about real-life Axel shortly. But first, let's talk about where we were this weekend. We were at SoonerCon. Best convention ever. It was a great time. And Julie was there with us. I was. I was there on invitation. It was my first year, and it will not be my last. Good, good. So some shout outs. Who was there that we care about? So first of all, I mean, there were lots of people that were there that we care about, and I almost certainly have forgotten some of them, but... I'm going to shout out as many of them as I possibly can. And to start with the crew who runs SoonerCon, who puts it on, Matthew, Aslan, Shy, Carmen, Daniel, Philip, just to name a few more. Everybody who is a part of that show is amazing. Aslan, your programming was stellar as always. Shy, happy birthday again. Actually, I made a whole panel room full of people saying happy birthday for Shy. That was fun for me. But the hotel is awesome. Everything's great. They're amazing. And as we mentioned, Julie was there with us, as well as our friend Jean. And gosh, uh, David J. Peterson and Tracy S. Morris, both who were early guests on the podcast, were there as well. And then the Yard Doggy crew, my publisher, Selena and Lynn Rosen, along with many of the Yard Doggies, such as Rhonda Udaley, Julia Mandela, Lauren J. Underwood. Laura J. Underwood, not Lauren. Jeez. Sorry, Laura. Ooh. Uh, I don't know how to talk. Forgive me. Brad and Sue Siner, William Ledbetter, and Jim Burke, Vicki Malone Kennedy, James Holloman. I'm sure I'm missing some of the yard doggies, and I'm sorry. My memory is not so good. We also got to see Leonard, the Confather, and his beautiful locks of flowing hair. <laughs> when I first started going to SoonerCon, I got a story to tell at the very end of the show tonight about Leonard and a tip I got from him that has been very useful for me. But before that, I'm just going to say right now, back when I first started going to SoonerCon, I think even back then he was the con chair. Con chair, for those who don't know, is basically the equivalent of like the president or CEO of the con. Like they're the person who holds everything together, right? So he was doing that for years. And a few years ago, he retired from his day job. And around the same time, he kind of retired from running the convention as well. And so this year he had his hair grown out like down to his shoulders. It's really awesome. It actually looks really, really good. But I kept commenting on his hair or whatever. When we went to opening ceremonies, JH pointed out to me that he was sitting a few rows in front of us. So I snapped a picture of the back of his head. And uh, he's a big Godzilla fan. Like one year for opening ceremonies, they set up like all these uh, like fake buildings on the stage and they played the Godzilla music and this giant person in a Godzilla costume came out, like knocked over all the buildings. And then it was just him under there. Right. 
So I took this picture of the back of his head and I sent it to him and I said, uh, Godzilla sighting. (laughs) When I saw him a few hours later, he was like, what the hell are you doing? He's sending me a picture of my head. He's like, I was trying to eat dinner. I nearly choked. Everybody wanted to know what was going on. Uh, so funny. Um, <laughs> uh, some other writer friends were there, like Tommy B. Smith, A. Lee Martinez, uh, Mark Finn, our amazing visual artist friend, Harold Neal, Terry Southern, who's an artist who's at SoonerCon every year, and actually, when I was a kid, was one of my social studies teachers when I lived in Oklahoma. As well as shout out to our friends, David, Lori, Ed, Brandy, and Shannon, who we're always super happy to see, and all the many other people I forgot. Yeah, another who didn't make your list, too. I guess um, I'm more friends with her than you, but um, Hazel Conley, who's another artist who's always there. Oh, yeah. See, I meant to put her on the list for you. Sorry, my bad. It's okay. Sorry, Hazel. If you ever hear this. I just figured I tried to write up notes because so much happened at SoonerCon that I didn't know if I could even begin to touch on everything. So I thought maybe we'd talk about like some of the panels and things we saw. We didn't see Julie until Saturday morning. But we kicked off opening day on Friday. JH and I got to be on a panel together that was called Going Indie After a Lifetime of Trade, which was really about going from being a traditional author who's submitting to publishers to self-publishing, which, Mm -hmm. interestingly enough, I'm actually kind of, I might be the reverse of that, actually. I might have self-published before. I don't know. Prose might have done some of my short stories before I got my first novel out. Either way, uh, it was a fun panel. We had... Vicki Malone-Kennedy is our moderator. She's always a delight. And Tommy B. Smith was on there with us, as well as Stephen E. Waddell. And we had this really good conversation about doing the whole indie thing and, you know, what you have to pay, getting your own covers and editors and all of that. So this is a good conversation. Mm-hmm. And then we skipped forward a few hours and we got to do Supernatural Variety and Urban Fantasy. And JH got to be on there with me again, but this time I was the moderator. And we had Vicky on and Brad and Sue Siner, as well as an author we hadn't met before, Madeline Dale. And I just, one call out for this panel. It was so funny. So I posed the question from the description of the panel. There was a question that was like, why are supernatural beings, you know, werewolves and vampires and all that? Like, why is that so relatable for people in a modern setting? And I started down on the end with Vicky and she goes, well, because a woman wants a man who's animalistic. (laughs) that was the best she was a hoot all weekend oh man she always is i was just immediately like all right well panel done we can all go home now (laughs) and she goes well is it just me well i'm old and i'm a widow so that's the answer for me (laughs) (laughs) hmm I did get to do a fun thing on the panel that I surprised my panelists with, which was I probably wouldn't have done this if they were all strangers. Unfortunately, Madeline was the only one that I didn't know very well. So towards the end, I saved like 10 minutes and I like talked about like all kinds of different supernatural creatures and why do people like them? Why is the author, do you feel drawn to them? You know, all that kind of stuff. But at the end, I left like 10 minutes and I went, OK, time for uh, crowd participation. And basically, I was like, I want you guys to give me your most obscure, weirdest, strangest, supernatural beings that you know about. And 
we will vote and whichever one gets like the most votes, I will put into the, a Blade Mage story as I continue that series. And I'll try to get the panelists to do the same. And they came up with some great stuff, mm-hmm. which I hope JH still has written down. Well, it's in my notebook. So yeah, it's still in there. I haven't thrown that thing away. Okay, good. Because I'm going to be honest, the only thing I remember is Peyton Manning Bird. <laughs> that one was my favorite. I don't think that's what it was actually called. No, it's a Perryton. Yeah, Peyton Manning Bird. I'm sticking with it. <laughs> I think we ended up taking all of them. I just said, I'll find a way to fit them all in. And I let the crowd choose, like, are they a villain or a friend? I don't know if we captured all of that correctly, but we'll do our best. And I've got to send it to the other panelists because everyone agreed that they would try to use these creatures in some way, shape, or form. Yes. Sue gave me her email address and she wanted us to send her the list. So. Okay, cool. We'll send it to Julie and let her walk it to Sue's house. (laughs) Or I'm writing weird westerns. Maybe I put a couple of them in my book. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We'll start a whole thing. We'll make a new type of supernatural creature go viral. I love it. Let's make it happen. Other than Chris. Other than Chris. (laughs) You said you weren't going to help me, Phil. So after that, JH got to do a really cool panel called In a Tech-Heavy World, Who Needs Magic? Uh, Yeah, that one was a lot of fun. I don't remember if you already mentioned who was on there or not. So I didn't. We we talked about Ailey Martinez, Linda Donahue, Tracy, who's on the podcast some weeks back, along with Trina Jacobs and Loretta McKibben. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I personally am definitely on the side of the magics. Like, even if you create like really cool tech for me, if I could find, you know, some magic portal that means I never have to get on an airplane again and I can just end up at my destination, that'd be wonderful. So, yeah, it was fun talking about that with all of them and kind of like pros and cons of each side and how they're maybe a little more similar than we think sometimes. Yeah, I try never to chime in on other people's panels, but I did raise my hand once on that one because the moderator asked a really good question. I think Tracy was the moderator, wasn't she? Yes, she was. She asked a really good question about if magic existed in our society today, how would it get used? And it immediately made me think of the uh, South Park episode about the NSA and how they use their technology to track people. And it turns out it's just like they've kidnapped Santa Claus and they've got him hooked up to a bunch of wires. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Moving right along. We did literary beers that night. That's fun. That's where you hang out in the bar with a bunch of other authors and people and you drink and talk. It's exactly what it sounds like. We got to see a bunch of our friends in there. Like David was in there, which was cool. We went to the panel called SoonerCon at Midnight. That's always hilarious. Mm-hmm. And one of the featured guests, Larry Nimichek, always hosts that panel year after year. And it's basically like, we're going to come up with the worst book ever. So he has like a handful of panelists and they have to come up with the worst genre. And then the crowd votes on the genre. And then they have to come up with the worst title and the crowd votes on the title and then like the worst character. And then the crowd has to vote on that. And then uh, worst logline. I believe the title was JH. What was that title? Oh, in the mouth of Emma. And I will add, he was saying it's the worst of all those things. It's not necessarily the worst. It's the funniest. So obviously like there's not a worst genre. It can be, you know, I think this one was Eldritch Regency Romance. Yeah, you got it. That's what it was. Those lines. Yep. And then from there, it's the contestants are just trying to make it as funny as possible. So when we say worst, we really mean it like the funniest. I was like, I don't know if I want to say this on the podcast or not, but I'm going to. 
Vicky, we love you so much. You're so funny. So during the log line part, Vicky was trying to say a line about tentacles. Test, uh, uh, tentacles. No, <laughs> see, I'm making the same mistake. Tentacles yeah. in Emma's mouth, and she accidentally said testicles, and the whole room <laughs> died. It just yeah. erupted. It was so funny. <laughs> train. That's a train. That's a train. Train ad. Woo, train ad. <laughs> Woo. Are you experiencing hairy feet, an adventurous itch, or butt pain? Then you should buy a copy of J.H. Fleming's latest novel, Music the Gathering. A most unusual assassin. What does a fantasy novel have to do with those conditions, you ask? Nothing but it's so damn good you'll forget all about your furry little hobbit feet. Don't wait. Buy it now and tell your doctor how awesome it is. Side effects may include magical adventure, hours of introverted fun, great characters, tears of joy, and death. Buy it now. All right, so Saturday morning at CinerCon, we get up super early, and I see I have a message from real-life Axel, and all that message is is a picture of him standing in front of the SoonerCon Hotel. At which point, I both laughed and had a little bit of a heart attack because I wasn't sure the convention world was ready for him. <laughs> and frankly, I don't think that it was. I'm not sure it was. Still up for debate. <laughs> <laughs> but we also got to see Julie on Saturday morning, which was amazing. Yay! Yeah. So Julie, what did you think roaming in there on Saturday morning? What were your thoughts? Well, you know, it was pretty much what I thought it would be. A lot of folks in cosplay and a lot of visual artists, a lot of creatives roaming around. It was a very welcoming environment. Like that I really want to stress that actually because there's probably a lot of people out there who haven't been to it mm -hmm. who don't know what to expect, who don't know what they're going to be walking into. There was never a moment during the weekend where I felt out of place, where I felt unwelcome, where I felt like people were looking at me funny or anything like that. It was just such a relaxed atmosphere that you almost couldn't help. But yeah, it was very easy to take the energy in. And I, as, as creatives, that's why we go to those things, I think, is to get that recharge and to feel the closeness of other people who do what you do and to be able to talk shop with people who understand what you're saying. And it was a good recharge. I needed it. I always tell people who ask me who don't go, they're like, oh, is it so is it like a big Comic Con? And most people who have been to a few like when uh, real life Axel got there, and even he said the same thing, right? So he's been to several like big media cons, you know, what people think of as like Comic Con, right? Where it's like a huge place, there's a bazillion people. And there's a bunch of like actors and you just go get in line to get their autographs. And then there's a big vendor room, basically. Right. Mm -hmm. And even he was like, this is a different thing. Like, this is a totally different vibe. And it's just way more fun. It's like we're seeing the same people and we're like making friends with them and hanging out and everyone's super cool. So, yeah, it's, it's hard to describe for somebody who hasn't been to one like SoonerCon. And there are others that are similar. I don't know that I've ever been to one that has the same on community vibe that SoonerCon has. FinCon's pretty close, but SoonerCon has always been pretty special to me. SoonerCon's like the one convention that if they kicked me off of programming and told me that they didn't want me to be a part of it anymore, I would still buy a ticket and go every year. 
Yeah, it's definitely a high bar, I think. So I may have trouble finding a similar con that's going to really give me what I found there, honestly. Right. You'll have to go to FinCon with us. That's the next closest, I think. Where is that one? Dallas? Yeah, it's in Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. That's not too far out of pocket. There used to be some um, closer to us in like the Springdale area that had a really good riding track there for a while, but we think they stopped inviting riders or like we just haven't been in many years. They did for at least a year or two, but last time I looked, it looked like they were having a few back. So, I mean, we could look at that one again. They moved to going in uh, into the fall, so it's actually going to be coming up before too long. We'd have to look and see. Yeah, that one was a smaller one as well. As far as like, you know, compared to the big media cons, that one would be along the same lines where like you would see the same people and be able to make friends. But so I'd only gone like once or twice before, like they stopped inviting writers. And even then it didn't have quite the same Mm-mm. community as like SoonerCon does. Yeah. I think the next closest might actually be World Fantasy, to tell you the truth. I felt pretty good about World Fantasy when we were there mm-hmm. in November. You know, we went to New Orleans for that's where we met Gerald. Like at first, it kind of felt like we were on an island, but like Tracy was there with us and uh, Adrian Simmons, Brad and Sue Siner. Uh, so there was like a handful of people we kind of knew. But once we made friends with... So here's what really happened. I started telling that story with Gerald on last week. I joked throughout the week that we were there that we were adopted by the Canadian crew. Like we were surrogate Canadians for the week because we just got f- surrounded by this group of Canadians who all befriended us and we get, just got to hang out with them the whole time. But it has a similar vibe. It's pretty cool. All right. so. Saturday, we found Julie. We also went to our coffee clatch, which is basically like literary beers, but it's the hungover version, right? So you do literary (laughs) beers at night in the bar and you drink and then you get up in the morning and you get a cup of coffee and take your hangover to the bar and you sit down and you, the bar's not even open, but then you just sit there with your coffee and talk to other writers or, you know, groan at them if you need to. Just like that. That is exactly what Coffee Clutch sounds like for me on a Sunday morning at a con. Nailed it. Reenactment. <laughs> Three weeks in a row. We are never going to not have dogs on our podcast. I love it. Uh, I love the noises he's making or she. Is, is that Zelda? It's Zelda. Oh, yeah. The Princess Zelda is on the podcast with us. My rescued princess. Yep. <laughs> So Saturday programming, I got to do a game show thing called Critically Corrected Trivia Show, where they made incorrect trivia statements. And then we, the panelists, had to be like, um, actually, it's this and then give the right answer. And I knew I was going to be very terrible at it. So from the gate, I was like, go audience. I'm rooting for the audience. And then I got like one question right legitimately, which was I think the statement was, In the hit TV show, Firefly, Captain Malcolm Reynolds is the captain of the ship called the Firefly. And I was like, um, actually, it's Serenity. And then I got a point. (laughs) And then they had a Star Trek question. And Kevin Dilmore, who was like uh, one of the guests of honor as a writer, he's like a famous Star Trek writer. He was on this panel with me, right? And they did this question about Spock's blood and what color it was or whatever. And... He guessed wrong, and then everyone else guessed wrong. So I was just like, um, actually blue. And they were like, that's right, you get a point. And I looked at Kevin Dilmer and I was like, I figured anything Star Trek, you would just immediately steal the show from us on. And he goes, 
well, I would have, but that answer is wrong. And so I was like, what do you know, Star Trek writer? Um, and I got some laughs from the crowd. But then karma came back around to bite me because they made a statement that was like, let me see if I can remember this one. It was in the Fellowship of the Ring, the nine companions made up four races, humans, elves, dwarves, and hobbits. And I went, um, actually, Gandalf was a Maya. And then the room looked at me like I was a potato. And I was like, oh, crap, I got that wrong. And I was like, Maya? And then the room still looked at me like I was a potato. And they were like, that's wrong. And then uh, they, it was Astari. Is that what they were looking for? That's what they were looking for. They were the ones who were wrong. You were 100% right. I should probably explain. I am a huge Lord of the Rings fan. So whoever wrote that question probably just watched Rings of Power and heard them call the wizards the Astari. But that's a group name. If you're talking about the race, Maya is 100% correct. Woo! Like saying they're a starry is like saying I'm a writer. That's not my race. I'm a human. Writer is my profession. A starry is the group Gandalf's a part of. Which was funny because I made a whole joke to the audience. I was like, okay, well, if I got that wrong, no one tell my girlfriend who's in another <laughs> panel right now. Because if she knows I got that wrong, she will kill me. And then they made a joke <laughs> about how I was super loud and she could probably hear me through the walls. And then I hit under the table. <laughs> but <laughs> after the panel was over, Gene, who is with us, who is friends with us because he's a part of JH's Super Geek Lord of the Rings group. Mm-hmm. He came up to me and he's like, don't worry, you got it right. Yes, you were 100%. you were right. Yes. So I felt better. I also betrayed myself because when we got to the end, I looked at the guy who was the moderator and I was like, did the audience win? And he was like, yeah. And I went, oh, because the audience got points too. And I go, okay. And then I got up from my seat and went and sat in the audience <laughs> and was like, yeah, I won. <laughs> Oh, but I think while we were there, what were you talking about, JH? What were you doing? Oh, what was I in at that point? Um, Was that the thief one at the same time? Yes, the esteemed archetype. Don't get caught. Archetype. What did I say? You said archetype. Don't answer that. (laughs) No. Chris, cut. We can't let people think I'm stupid. (laughs) So we're just talking about like rogues, thieves, um, what makes them likable and enjoyable rather than, you know, like if you think of a real life thief, like, oh, you're a piece of crap or whatever. So talking about those in fiction, some of our favorite ones that come up and let's see, we talked about Selena. She was on there with us. Craig Wolf, David Corico, Mark Finn, Jim Shorts. Um, Yeah, so we just kind of talked about thieves um some of our favorite ones and um, i got to talk about my favorite who's ozia the rogue in music the gathering let's, let's play. play um probably why i was on that panel to begin with but yeah it was a lot of fun very good and then what did we do after that did we go get lunch i don't remember it all blends together i think at some point we walked julie through the vendor room and well we had to hunt julie down in the vendor room i remember that and then we were trying to introduce you to everyone. I was talking to a bunch of people and buying more art than I needed to bring home. But <laughs> <laughs> but I did actually need it. So, Hey, but you brought some art with you and didn't take it home with you. I did. I forgot all about that, actually. Julie <laughs> made us really cool little like flyer poster things. Like she made me a Star Wars one that's really cool and then made JH a Lord of the Rings one that's really cool. Yeah. Like fake travel ads. Just a little thank you gift for, yeah, 
fictional travel posters. I just wanted, you know, a little something to say thanks for inviting me and showing me around and putting up with me all weekend. <laughs> I know it was awesome. And putting up with you was way easier than putting up with some people who were with us. <laughs> you weren't there, Chris. I'm talking about real life Axel. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag real life Axel. <laughs> Hashtag real life Axel. But you said were with you. I thought you said are with you. <laughs> Um, my next one was a panel called Writing Non-Human Characters for Humans, and I got to moderate that one. And I had Penny Fielder, Trina Jacobs, and Shai Fenwick, and that was the one where I made the whole crowd sing Happy Birthday to Shai, which was super amazing. And I thought it was a good panel, but what was really, really cool, and thank you, Aslan, for, I'm, you know, you may never hear this, but thank you for sharing this with me on Sunday Aslan actually told me that one of the people in the audience went out of their way to approach her and let her know that they thought I did a great job moderating it, which was really cool. That made me happy. That's some good feedback. Yeah, it's nice every once in a while. Because you know, sometimes you don't know, right? You're just kind of winging it up there. Yeah, that one was neat, too, because um, they had that same panel last year. And I actually got to be on it with, I think, Selena. It, it's been a year. I don't remember who else was on it at this point. But, yeah, it was a lot of fun when we did it as well and i thought you guys did great if you ever have a chance to be on a panel with selena rosen highly recommend always amusing <laughs> always fun <laughs> i actually sat in that panel and you did do a good job phil that was a good mm -hmm. moderation yeah for sure oh thank you julie that one actually was slightly nerve-wracking because i was short one panelist and i know we'll talk about well you know what i'll just save this for the end when we talk about doing panels and stuff so i'll save that for the uh creatives on fire segment but that was really fun. Um, the next one we went to is JH. You were on the multi-genre storytelling one with some really cool people. Yeah, that one was probably the one I was the most nervous about because those who know me, they know, you know, I have published novels. I'm still submitting to agents and big, bigger publishers. So this panel included, we mentioned Selena, Laura J. Underwood, another author named M. Scott Carter. And then Ailey Martinez, who we've mentioned before, and John Scalzi. And those listening may recognize his name because he is actually one you can go find in your local Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and whatnot. Um, Lee, I believe you can as well, though I don't think he's... Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so having all of them on there at the same time, and then there's me, and I'm just... I guess it's one of those things where you, like, you have that imposter syndrome feeling, even though like I've been writing for, I don't know half a, a decade and a half now or something like that like even though like I've done that and have leveled up as a writer so to speak like I'm I don't feel like I'm on their level and so being on a panel with them like I was nervous going into it but it actually went really well and I made one point about the topic and actually got kind of like some props from John Scalzi which was amazing so that was really cool <laughs> I don't know if you mentioned Selena. Selena was on there with you as yeah. well. And you had Selena yeah, nudging her. you and making yes. comments from the side. <laughs> she did. <laughs> if yeah. you're ever on a panel with Selena Rosen, sit beside her. It's the best yeah. place to be in the whole panel. Sure. <laughs> so after that panel, I actually had someone approach me directly. Like a lot of people were going immediately to John Scalzi wanting to talk to him, which is understandable. Like he's the most recognizable name in the room, probably. He was a guest of honor. Yes. Um, had someone come to my end of the table it, to tell me how much they'd enjoyed my panels all weekend, which was really cool. Yeah, it's always a boon. That's some yeah. nice feedback, too. And you yeah. did good. You were really good on your panels. 
That was a fun panel. I sat through that one myself and that was a good panel. I enjoyed it too. And I have read your work, JH, and I don't think you should really ever describe yourself as, and then there was me. So (laughs) Right? (laughs) It's it's tough though. I think a lot of artists, whether you're a visual artist, a musician, an author, whatever you are, like I think we all kind of feel that way sometime. I don't know if that ever really goes away, even if you get to like Stephen King level. Like I feel like I'll always think that about myself like eh, it's okay I don't know. <laughs> well there's nothing wrong with a little humility but I yeah you deserve to be up there <laughs> thank you yeah 100 I agree one of the best authors I know even though I might be biased you're still one of the best authors <laughs> I know maybe the best yeah so basically after we finished our panels we were kind of off the hook for the evening and you might all be surprised to learn that we were back at the bar again for literary beers. We weren't even assigned for Saturday night. We just showed up mm-hmm. and hung out with, uh, oh man, there's so many people there that night. Yep. I'm not even going to list them all again because it's a bunch of the same people, but it was super fun. We hung out in the bar for a long time. They were doing a birthday for Shy, so we went up to her birthday and unleashed real life Axel on everyone. So <laughs> he proceeded to... Chris, I don't know if you, I don't even know if I told you this part. He proceeded to move around throughout the party and tell everyone that he was J.H.'s and my muse. (laughs) That's how he was describing himself. Yes. I mean, is he wrong? (laughs) Yes. 100% wrong. He did show up in Phil's book. He has not made any appearances in mine, so I don't know how he thought he was making that claim for me. (laughs) <laughs> he also was telling everyone, he was going up to everyone who knew me, and he'd be like, oh, you know, Phil? Cool. So here's what you need to know. J.H. is the best thing that ever happened to him. I'm the second best thing that ever happened to him. <laughs> Did he have a shirt on at the time? Fortunately, yes. The funny thing is, he came and related that to me, but he swapped it where he was the best thing and I was the second best. <laughs> Ooh, full gaslighting. That's no good. <laughs> oh. Yeah, he was a handful. He had a lot of fun, though. And then we went to the late night parties like we always do. And I'm learning that I'm getting a little too old to be hotel room partying till two o'clock in the morning when I got up at six. Mm-hmm. And then I plan to get up, you know, at seven or eight the next morning. That made for a painful Sunday morning. But we persevered and we got to hang out with Larry and he got to tell me some cool stories. I would relay some of those con-related stories, but, uh, well, I might at the end. We'll see. I might not, because I might just try to get them on here. But, no, that was fun. I always like Larry Nemechek. He's a good time. And hanging out with Ed and Brandy, that's a sort of uh, tradition that we hang out with them at the room parties. It was actually really funny, because last year, there was, like, a show going on. And so it was, like, after midnight, and I kept poking my head out of the hotel room, like, where are the room parties? I don't hear anything. And... We're like, well, let's just go down and see if there's some room parties on the room party floor. And we got off the elevator and we were just standing there and it's like no door is open. There's no room parties happening. And our friends Ed and Brandy came around the corner and was like, hey, do you guys know what's going on with the parties tonight? And they're like, we don't. And so we just stood there with them for a few minutes. And all of a sudden the door behind us opened and somebody slapped a flyer on the door. And it was like, welcome to our room party. And we're like, oh, okay. (laughs) The exact same thing happened. In the exact same hotel at like the exact same time, standing in the exact same spot this year, which was really funny to me. 
<laughs> yeah, I think part of that has to do with they do a burlesque show at SoonerCon and it tends to go late. So a lot of people go to that and then any room parties tend to start after it's over. True story. We went to that for a few minutes. It was uh, different. Uh-huh. I don't want to say other than tickle me Elmo, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Chris's face right now is priceless, and I'm not going to give it any more detail than that. <laughs> Julie, any other SoonerCon highlights I missed? I mean, the Star Wars hallway was pretty awesome, and the parade, and that was cool. All the things, mostly just if anyone's out there and they're listening and they're on the fence about coming, I'm. Check it out. It's definitely a welcoming place, and there's a lot of really cool people that are doing really cool things there. So I almost forgot about the time you made me laugh so freaking hard. We went to the costume contest, and they do a, like a beginners and then like an intermediate and then like a masters or something, you know, yep. or advanced. I don't remember what they call yep. it. But during the intermediate, and there's a picture of this on my Facebook, uh, there's a predator mm-hmm. that comes out. Yep. And he looks real. It's a good like one. he looks super real. <laughs> <laughs> like he even takes off the metal mask and he's got the alien face under there or whatever. And Julie looks over at me and she goes, If this is intermediate, what's going to be the masters? An actual predator? <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't imagine. This is intermediate? Good grief. He looked real. He had the cloaking tech down. I mean, I was waiting on that. (laughs) Oh, that's one. I love the costume contest every year. I always try to catch it. They always have really good, high quality stuff. One of the um, judges was costumed as She-Ra. And I was like, yeah, yeah, Predator's nice. Let me see the She-Ra. I want to see (laughs) She-Ra. 80s She-Ra or current She-Ra? 80s She-Ra. Yeah, I still have all my stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Bill's Rainbow Bright collection's awesome. No comment. <laughs> the artist room is always really cool, too. There was a painting in there this year, and it, like I don't know what it was about it, but I just loved it. It was this big painting they'd done of Iron Man, like a huge canvas painting, and I really wanted to buy it. I had to talk myself out of it, but it was like this really good Iron Man where he was kind of beat up and scarred a little bit, and oh, it was just so good. And then they did this, um, what was the thing JHU loved? It was a stormtrooper with a bagpipe. Yeah. Yeah, that one was really cool. Um I don't know, was it a stormtrooper or was it something else? That one disappeared really quickly, so I'm not sure. Yeah, it was a stormtrooper in a kilt with a bagpipe, and then beside him was a Tusken Raider in a kilt. I don't remember what he was holding. But they'd done, like, the same people, I think it was the same people because they had sat beside each other. They'd done this, like, cool platform, like, multi-level platform thing where they'd taken, like, a Star Wars AT-AT and turned it into like a, I don't know, like some kind of cabana house party thing. And they had like action figures laid out and there's like Boba Fett in there drinking Mai Tais or something that was really cool. I would have taken a picture, but I don't think you're supposed to take pictures in the art room. So I didn't do that. JH, anything else? Any other highlights that we should call out? Nothing I can think of. We covered kind of all of our favorite moments and things that happened. All right, cool. Well, then you know what that means. It's time for the news. Julie, no pressure, but (laughs) Brian sang us into the news. (laughs) I heard that. He did such a great job. I think you should just uh, repeat it for every show. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I wonder if I could, uh, Chris, I'm going to play that thing and see if it comes through well enough to use. So Brian, who was our uh, one of our guests last week, he texted me the other day and he informed me that he was going to hijack our show permanently. 
because he could do our voices well enough. And if this plays well enough, then I guess you'll hear his interpretation of us. Hi, this is Philip. <laughs> oh, wait, I'm Jage. And I'm Philip. And this is Future Bestsellers. And we're with our friend. Chris, what's up? <laughs> He's not here to sing us the news, but he did give us that. All right. The news. All right. Our first thing tonight, um, and I've been thinking about talking about this on the show for a while. I wanted to mention it. And this seems like a really opportune time because it's the most amazingly terrible thing. So everyone should know, if you're not aware, that CIFWA, the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers Association, has a part of their platform that's called Writer Beware. Well, I don't know if it's necessarily their platform, but you can find it through their site. You can also find Writer Beware at writerbeware.blog. And basically what this is, is Writer Beware keeps track of nefarious players in the industry. So any kind of scam artist, scam publisher, scam agents, People who are just trying to take advantage of writers, they try to keep track of that. They have a ton of good information on how to avoid getting taken advantage of and that sort of thing. But what's really interesting today is Victoria Strauss, who is a very well-known author and a co-founder of CIFWA's Watchdog Writer Beware, posted a thing on her Twitter today, and it is an email that a scam artist sent out pretending to be her. And they literally said, I'm Victoria Strauss, an author who writes novels for both adults and young adults. Blah, blah, blah. If you're interested, you can learn more about Writer Beware, the watchdog group I founded to protect authors from scams. And then it proceeds to go on and talk about how they want to help authors and whatever. So just give them your email address and phone number. They sent this as Victoria Strauss. They even signed it, founder of Writers Beware. But it wasn't her. It was a scam. That's the wildest thing to me. I saw that earlier today and didn't even get a chance to tell Phil about it. And I came home, he had it pulled up on his screen. It's like, oh, you saw that too. I guess I'm kind of surprised that it didn't happen sooner, maybe. Because she's... <laughs> well, Writer Beware is not a secret. I mean, I guess there's not... There's a lot of new and, and maybe upcoming authors that don't know about it, but I guess I'm just surprised that the scammers didn't latch onto this sooner and try to impersonate her before. Yeah, that's fair. I was amazed. I was like, this is the scammiest of scam things. Like, it's unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, so anybody who doesn't know, Writer Beware is a very useful resource. If you end up in a conversation with somebody or something and you're not sure it's legit, you can go check and see if they have anything you know, they might have that one listed on one of their nefarious players list, or they might just have some advice for you to use to keep yourself from getting into trouble, basically. I would think an outfit as big as Writer Beware would probably have something better than a Gmail address to send you communication from. And have Beware spelled wrong? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> red flag, red flag, red flag. J.H.? So we talked about CIFWA before, and they have their market report with, you know, who's open to submissions, who's closed, who's new to the market. So they update that monthly. So this is more of just a reminder that, hey, it's a new month, and they have updated their listings for July. So 
If you're looking to see, you know, who's open right now, if there's anyone new to the market, definitely check out their site and see if you fit anything, maybe something to submit or new market, whatever. And Christopher? Clark's World, which we've referenced several times around the AI submissions they were getting, was being funded primarily through an Amazon subscription service that is, I guess, sunsetting. And so now they are looking at getting all of their followers to move over to Patreon or something they call Clark's World Citizens, which looks like isn't available in the EU or UK as it's indicating they should still use Patreon. But it's a good resource, so if it's something you use, make sure that you switch over from an Amazon subscription to something that will still support them. Yeah, for sure. And Neil Clark wrote a really nice piece about the history and putting it all together and everything. And it's worth having a read. And, you know, it's a well-known, well-respected magazine. I think uh, we should all probably support it if we're science fiction and fantasy authors. I think we want Clark's world to stick around. Hello, friends. We have a delightful treat for today's train ad. Philip Dreyer Duncan has come a long way in terms of developing his author's voice, and I wanted to share this custom writing done for an avid fan. Christopher, this may be the very last copy of the first edition to ever be sold. I suppose when I'm a world-famous author, it might be a valuable collector's item. Despite that, I'd still like very much for you to burn this copy and bury it in a pit where no one may ever read the embarrassing first attempt of a noob. But since I know you won't, that's all the time we have, but do give Philip Dreyer Duncan's books a look. Thank you. Apparently, TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, is looking to make its own publishing house. They've already filed for a U.S. trademark with the name Eighth Note Press, and they've already started approaching authors, particularly indie authors writing romance. So some other book talk authors are concerned this will impact them because they would assume TikTok's going to put more emphasis on their own authors rather than, you know, other authors who are just using the platform, which is a legitimate concern. But yeah, until that really takes off, it's going to be hard to know, you know, which way they're going. And for anybody who doesn't know, book talk is a marketing thing that authors do on TikTok. I haven't done it because yeah. TikTok's not really my jam, but According to a lot of indie people, like, it's very, very good. Yeah, and if you go to any of, like, the brick-and-mortar, like, big bookstores these days, like, you know, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, I, and last several times I've gone, they actually have book talk sections now, where, like, popular books on book talk are, like, on their own display in the bookstore. Our generation had Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> Was that our generation? Well, not you and I. <laughs> Me and Chris, maybe. <laughs> Me yeah. and Julie, maybe. <laughs> well, speaking of TikTok, this is a really cool story, actually. So a couple of guys are walking through a Kroger in Texas, and there is an author set up at a table in Kroger trying to sell his books. And according to the guys, the author seemed a little defeated, like he kind of had a rough day and things weren't like he wasn't selling books, whatever it was. Listen, any of us who have sat behind a table, we know what I'm talking about. Um, mm -hmm. It can be brutal. So they go back around and they talk to the guy. They ask him about his book. I think they buy a couple copies, whatever, but they take a video of it and they put it up on TikTok. And now this guy is all of a sudden a number one bestseller. 
I actually checked before we started on Amazon. His book is number one in teen and young adult fantasy and supernatural mysteries and thrillers. Number one in teen and young adult ghost stories. Number one in teen and young adult mysteries and detective stories. 636 reviews with a five-star average. And most of those reviews, as I was scrolling through them, were referencing the TikTok video. So this guy just blew up. Basically, I don't know when this video posted. I don't know how many days this took. But basically, in a very short time span, this one TikTok video that these strangers took of this one author has made his book blow up, which is pretty cool. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah, good for him, right? There's a Kroger in Conway, Phil. (laughs) (laughs) I I was going to say, choosing a Kroger to sell your books out of seemed a little odd to me. Like, that wouldn't be the first thing I think of if I'm like, I'm going to go set up a table and try to sell books. You know, that's fair, but also there's the stories of, uh, isn't that what Frank Herbert did? He would sit outside of a grocery store and hawk copies of Dune out of the back of his car, right? So sometimes I guess you go where you can sell the books, right? Yeah. So, but good for that guy. That's cool. Was it Chelsea Banning recently that had posted on Twitter about no one coming to her book signing and somehow Stephen King saw it and retweeted and was just kind of basically gave her like, Hey, you know, chin up kind of thing. And she went crazy on Twitter and blew up all over the place. And now she's pretty high demand. And, uh, yeah, it just takes... Oh, wow, I didn't hear about that. That's cool. It's been a few months ago, but it was really a good windfall for her. And she rode that wave like a master. She really knew, you know, she jumped on it and, and she has done a lot with it, but good for her. I'm not sure that I'm going to rely on that as a marketing plan, but um, if it would happen, I sure wouldn't be mad about it. <laughs> yeah. No, but I just think it goes to show the, you know, never give up, right? Absolutely. Alan Rickman was in his 40s when he finally started acting professionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Trying for like 20 years. Wasn't Morgan Freeman didn't get a start till way later in life, too, right? No, that's not that's not accurate. He was on the electric company from the version before the version when I was a kid. Oh. And the guy from The Good Place, the nerdy guy. Yeah. Was on the version from when I was a kid. What? Yes. He was one of the villains. It's fantastic. Oh, wait. Okay, now I've got to look this up. Do you doubt my trivia knowledge? <laughs> if there's useless information to be had. Oh, I was so wrong. Morgan Freeman started acting when he was nine. <laughs> so clearly that was a bad example. In our continuing coverage of our robot overlords, Joanna Penn and Nick Thacker are discussing nine ways AI will disrupt authors and the publishing industry on Joanna's podcast, The Creative Pen. Since we're not in the habit of copying other people's material, we'll just go ahead and say you should check out that podcast. It's definitely going to be interesting. Yeah, it's a pretty good podcast. If I mean, really, if you're an author and you're looking for other resources, not that I don't want you here, you should be here. But you might also check out Joanna Penn's podcast as well. And uh, I'm pretty sure, is it Nick Thacker? Didn't we, we saw him at Superstars. Didn't we, didn't we sit in on one of his panels? I think he's a regular at Superstars. He's also um, over at the Book Career in a Year website. Okay, cool. What was their overview of how it's going to affect the publishing industry? Like, was it a good thing, bad thing? Primarily positive. 
really. Yeah, they, there was a, it was a positive spin they they saw. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've noticed Nick seems to be kind of on the um, on the plus category of the AI debate. He does describe himself as an optimist, which the world needs optimists. I don't know how you can manage that in this day and age, but <laughs> <laughs> that's maybe fair. But to not be so optimistic about AI. <laughs> so the uh, Authors Guild has penned an open letter to generative AI leaders. So they sent this to Sam Altman, CEO of OpenAI, Sundar Pekai, CEO of Alphabet, which is Google, The Zuckerberg, who's the CEO of Meta, Imad Mostak, CEO of Stability AI, Arvind Krishna, CEO of IBM, Satya Nadella, CEO of Microsoft. And it says, we, the undersigned, call your attention to the inherent injustice in exploiting our works as part of your AI systems without our consent, credit, or compensation. Generative AI technologies built on large language models owe their existence to our writings. These technologies mimic and regurgitate our language, stories, style, and ideas. Millions of copyrighted books, articles, essays, and poetry provide the food for AI systems. Endless mills for which there has been no bill. You're spending billions of dollars to develop AI technology. It is only fair that you compensate us for using our writings, without which AI would be banal and extremely limited. We understand that many of the books used to develop AI systems originated from notorious piracy websites. Not only does the recent Supreme Court decision in Warhol vs. Goldsmith make clear that the high commerciality of your uses argues against fair use, but no court would excuse copying illegal sourced works as fair use. As a result of embedding our writings in your systems, generative AI threatens to damage our profession by flooding the market with mediocre, machine-written books, stories, and journalism based on our work. In the past decade or so, authors have experienced a 40% decline in income, and the current median income for full-time writers in 2022 was only $23,000. The introduction of AI threatens to tip the scale to make it even more difficult, if not impossible, for writers, especially young writers and voices from underrepresented communities, to earn a living from their profession. We ask you, the leaders of AI, to mitigate the damage to our profession by taking the following steps. One, obtain permission for use of our copyrighted material in your generative AI programs. Two, compensate writers fairly for the past and ongoing use of our works in your generative AI programs. Three, compensate writers fairly for the use of our works in AI output, whether or not the outputs are infringing under current law. We hope you will appreciate the gravity of our concerns and that you will work with us to ensure in the years to come a healthy ecosystem for authors and journalists. Sincerely, the Authors Guild and undersigned writers. Uh, and they have a ton of writers who have signed it. And I guess anybody who wants to sign it as well, you still can. I would Google the Authors Guild open letter to AI, something like that. And you'll probably find where you can uh, sign the petition yourself if you so desire. All right. What's the next one, Chris? Uh, the same story, except this time with lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, authors Paul Tremblay and Mona Awad filed a class action lawsuit against OpenAI, accusing ChatGPT's parent company of copyright infringement and violating the DMCA, among other things. According to the authors, ChatGPT was partly trained on their copyrighted works without permission, and they're also indicating the piracy websites to be a major player in how that got there. Yeah, that's interesting. I think they'll have a tough time proving the piracy side of it, maybe, based on what I was reading. But they make a pretty good argument about if your AI can summarize our book very, very accurately, it must have read it 
And we didn't give you permission to do that, nor have you paid us for it. It'll be interesting to see where this goes, right? Speaking of, of citing where the information came from, that one is torrentfreak.com. Oh, yeah, that's a good call. Well, another interesting aspect to this, actually, just this morning, I was reading a post on one of the writing groups I'm part of. And one of the members was looking for advice because she had engaged the services of an editor and they'd gone through the initial, you know, how'd you do process? And, you know, here's a couple of sample pages, all the preliminaries that you do. And the editor asked if they would be okay with them using AI to help edit their manuscript. And this writer didn't really know what to think about that request. They weren't really comfortable with it, but didn't want to, I guess, close the door on on technology, I guess. But they weren't really sure how to feel about that. So not only are they possibly dumping things in from pirated sites or doing things without permission, we may end up having some, you know, editors on our hands that are going to feed it in there in the interest of editing. I mean, at least this one asked up front, I suppose. Yeah, that one's concerning to me. Mm hmm. I think ultimately the poster decided not to give them permission to upload into AI. Guys, I'm going to be honest. AI is not going to be a thing for me. I can't. Right. I'm not good at it. <laughs> and I just, it, I can't make myself really care about it as far as using it for myself. I don't want people's intellectual property to be stolen and used, you know, against their wishes. But it's not something right. that I'm really ever going to be part of. Yeah, I feel the same way from an editor standpoint. So I've, I've mentioned on the podcast a few times, I actually am a freelance editor through Fiverr. And to hear that another editor, whether it was through Fiverr or anywhere else, is telling clients, hey, I want to use AI to edit your stuff. To me, it's like you're basically trying to get it to do your job for you. That makes mm -hmm. me concerned. So like, are you just using that? Are you even reading the book? Right. Like how, right. how heavily are you relying on this? Right. I mean, you could ask them to summarize it to see if they're reading it, but I don't know that that helps anymore. No, because then <laughs> they could just use the robots for that too. Exactly. Yeah. I think you're, it's a big risk, especially for copy editing, right? Because you could just plug it in, tell it to copy edit for you, spit it mm -hmm. back out and charge somebody the money. Mm -hmm. Right. Line editing obviously is going to be, is going to be a different game, at least at this point. What's the difference? Um, line editing is more like you're going through and you're trying to improve sentences. You're checking that everything's the way it should be beyond just, uh, you know, so when you're copy editing, you're specifically looking for typos and grammar. Does that make sense? Oh. Yeah. Right. Um, and that was probably, a bad definition of line editing, but not your editor didn't correct you. So we're good. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> basically the line editing goes into a little more depth. So like a sentence may be grammatical, but if there's a better way to get your point across or to say it better, the line editing kind of comes into play there. It's uh, think of it like story editing, Chris, rather than just fixing your spelling and typos. So what do you think the odds are that the legal defense will be something along the lines of Copying one is plagiarism, copying hundreds is research. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not a, I, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I just play one on TV. My rebuttal to that would be you have to cite your sources for research and they're not citing anything or giving any yep. credit anywhere. Yep. Oh, that is a good call. That is a good call. 
you're still um, plagiarizing. It's just on a grander scale. Right. And the AI makes that possible. I always thought it was a crap argument for science in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to continue tracking this over time and, and seeing what happens. There are people being more optimistic about it. And maybe, I mean, it's going to be disruptive. It has to be. Maybe we'll see some positive outcomes. I mean, one thing I have thought about, right, is for the past, oh, six or eight months now, I had really bad trouble with my elbows and my wrists to the point there were times where I was like, you know, I mentioned it on the episode David was on with us, would I be able to continue writing? And it's like, okay, well, if I got to that point, and I know the AI is not there today, and it'd be a long time really before it is, but would there be a point where I could use something that would help me in the same way that Dragon does by using voice, right? I don't know. I like writing stories, though, and I don't really like the idea of using machine to do it for me. So I, I can't imagine how whoop, <laughs> Zelda agrees with me. <laughs> I thought you were lining up the old joke about, you know, will I be able to write stories if my arms continue down this path? And, you know, the doctor says, well, could you before? <laughs> <laughs> oh, ow. Love you, pal. <laughs> I am illiterate. All right. Shall we talk Probably. about <laughs> Shall we talk about tools? I believe yeah. Julie has a really cool tool she wants to tell us about. I do, and I like that we're bringing this up right after we've talked about AI because this is about as far on the other end of the spectrum from AI as a person can go and still be using a Sorry, my neighbors are starting off fireworks and my dog is freaking out. <laughs> so at Superstars this year, I met Laura Rendant, I believe is how you say her last name. Sorry, Laura. And she's the inventor of Mithulu. And Mithulu is a brainstorming tool. It's a deck of cards. There's actually two decks of cards and I have the A pack. I need to order the, the expansion pack and get it the other stuff, but they're meant to spark your creativity. It's kind of like you guys were talking about, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before when you were talking about how if you were kind of stuck in a spot and you switch from maybe writing on the laptop to handwriting, long form with a pen that it will, uh -huh. you know, kind of shake some things loose and, and get your creative juices going. Well, Mithulu kind of does that too. It's more hands-on. You have the cards in front of you. You can mix and match things. You can play games. You can do all kinds of things. And there's uh, six different categories of cards. There's relationships, traits, textures, elements, habitats, and characters. And there's all different ways you can use them for story prompts. You can use them for character building. And I like to have the cards, you know, in front of me next to my computer while I'm doing my writing. Um, it's nice to have a website you can go back and forth between, but it's also nice to be able to just glance down and the cards are right there. And it reminds you of what you were going to be doing. It's just a little more tactile, a little more hands-on and a little, a little more basic, I guess. It goes back to uh, some of the simpler things that we've done in the past. And I think maybe that's something that people could really use, if nothing else, just to mm -hmm. kind of get you out of what you're doing every day now and, and look at something else and brainstorm in a new way. But I really like these cards and they're visually beautiful. And Laura did a really good job of putting some yeah, they're props. Beautiful cards. They're beautiful, beautiful cards. She did a really good job of putting 
different types of descriptions and alternate ways of thinking about, you know, the specific element or things like that, that might get you to think in a different way. So they just really do spark a different kind of creativity. And again, they're a little more hands-on and a little less reliant on technology. So that could be a good thing. Interestingly enough, they actually uh, have an app version as well for your phone, which is interesting. I mean, you know, she's trying to make it accessible for everyone. And so if you do prefer more of an app-based type situation for this, then absolutely, that'd be a good option for you. I happen to really like the cards and being able to shuffle them and go through them and look at the beautiful pictures on them. So it just kind of depends on what you want to do. But I, I really, really love these cards. I never would have thought to do a tarot reading for a book. <laughs> I had a tarot reading at Superstars this year. One of the Trisha Woldreds was doing them for 10 bucks each, and she was donating the money to the Superstars Fund, which I thought was awesome. It was truly one of the weirdest experiences of my life, and uh, I can't wait to do it again because it was pretty amazing. Julie actually showed us these cards um, at SoonerCon this past weekend, and I was really glad she did. Like, she- Bill said they're absolutely gorgeous. I love that they were created specifically for authors because I actually use similar things that weren't created with that in mind. Um, I've got a, actually it's a card game just called Once Upon a Time. And the whole point of the game is all the players are trying to tell a story and they, they end up with cards and you're verbally telling each other stories using the cards you're given. So it's intended to be a card game, but um, I'll use it sometimes in the same manner when I'm writing. I'll also use actual tarot cards sometimes just because it, you know, can spark different ideas. But I really like that these were specifically created for authors, like they didn't have another purpose. So I'll, I'll definitely probably get some of these. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I think it's neat. She did a lot of research to see, you know, what what would writers want from something like this and i really think she delivered mm-hmm. yeah yeah so that is mythulu.com it's m y t h u l u.com creatives on fire we're going to talk about serious subjects <laughs> so for this week's episode of uh this week's segment on creatives on fire uh i thought about we would we would touch on some things from conventions because we just came from SoonerCon and they are near and dear to my heart. The first one I want to talk about, which I just wrote in the show notes, is I, I put it as B. Leonard. And that's because I mentioned Leonard, the con father earlier with the beautiful hair. And I once heard him say something that I have used in my day job career ever since. And Chris, as soon as you hear this, you're going to laugh because you will know what I'm talking about. So... A long time ago, before I was ever a guest at SoonerCon, we were at a FinCon, and I was walking to lunch with one of my publishers. And as we were walking out the door, she stopped Leonard, and I, I didn't know Leonard at all, and said, hey, do you want to go to lunch with us? We're going across the street to Denny's. And he was like, yeah, sure, right? So we go over, and we're all talking and, and getting along and having a good time. And my dear publisher and illegitimate writing mother, Selena Rosen, is never one to shy away from a topic, looked at Leonard and said, Leonard, make Phil a guest at SoonerCon. And Leonard, and I didn't, I didn't know who he was. I didn't know he had anything to do with SoonerCon. I didn't know what he did with them or anything. And Leonard looks at Selena and goes, 
yeah, yeah, I, I might be able to do that. And uh, I go, really? That would be amazing. And he goes, yeah, no, I'm, well, I'm a con chair, so I, I think I have the authority to do that. And I have been a guest at SoonerCon ever since. But more importantly, I took the casual, calm way he said that, the very like, oh, yeah, well, I mean, I, yeah, I think I have the authority to do that. I have taken that to my day job with me in the year since with much, much success. Every time I would hit a roadblock where somebody goes, oh, well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, what you're saying makes sense, but I don't know if we can do that. I don't know if we have the right amount of authority. I would just go, oh, I think, no, I think I have the right amount of authority. I think I can, I think I can do that. Yeah, no, I think I can, I can be the one to say that's okay. And every time people will be like, oh, oh, all right, then <laughs> and just go do whatever I, I need done. Even if they push back and they're like, they're like, well, I, don't, I think I need a senior leadership. Like, yeah, <laughs> no, no, I think I am senior leadership. No, I think, I think I'm a high enough level. I can, I can make that decision. It's fine. And Chris is nodding because he's seen me do this it's probably hundreds of times. <laughs> um, so take that with you to your day job. Be a Leonard. If somebody tells you that they need a higher authority than you to get something done for one of your customers, I mean, don't use it for stupid purposes. I was always using it to get something done for one of my customers, to make something better for my team. And listen, generally, if you work for good people and you're doing something for one of your customers, you're not going to get in trouble because you did the right thing for your customer, right? But you will always run into people who are kind of lazy and don't want to do work sometimes. And they'll be like, oh, well, I need a senior leader to approve that. Oh, oh, yeah. No, I, I'm, I think, no, I can approve that. Yeah, no, I've got the authority to approve that. It's fine. It's fine. Well, what if they say something? Well, tell them I tell them I approved it. That I'm 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 of the level I can approve that. It's fine. It's fine. Works like a charm. And it was great so, too because with who he worked for, they could call him all day long and complain, and he'd be like, "Yeah, he has the authority, right?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it helps to have good backup. <laughs> But as far as going to conventions and networking and doing panels, you know, we already talked about at the beginning, that's how we became friends with Julie, right? Because we went to the same conference. She happened to sit down beside us, which I now remember. Well, I don't remember her saying it mm -hmm. earlier, but we had the stepbrothers moment a little bit later when we realized we were going to dinner together. And pretty much after that, like we hung out, you know, most of the rest of that mm -hmm. conference, right? And uh, we've been friends ever since. She came to SoonerCon with us this weekend, which was awesome. And that was about the networking side of what we do as authors. And I think it's really important to, because people always talk about networking. They talk about it in your day job. They talk about it when you're an author. You've got to network. You've got to network. And I think it gets a bad, it gets a bad rep because of the way people think about it. It becomes almost dirty in a way, like a car salesman type of thing, you know? I think people fall into that trap because they're only looking at the energy flowing one way. They're only thinking about networking in terms of what can I get people to do for me? And that makes them feel icky as it should. But when really it's a two-way street, it's about what can I do for people in addition to. So you have to understand that it's the energy goes in and out. Mm -hmm. You know, you guys helped me this weekend. You um, invited me. You took me under your wing. You made sure I knew where things were. You made sure I had someone to have lunch with. All the things. But 
I'm going to find a way to pay you guys back for that. I mean, this, I'll find a way to help you and, you know, bringing you the little travel posters was just a fun thing to say thank you, but I, everything's reciprocal, but I think people fall into a trap of thinking that networking is just on terms of what can I get people to do for me when that's only half of the equation. Yeah. I remember the word I lost ingenuine. That's what I was going to say. Disingenuous. Disingenuous. That's the one I wanted. I just made up the other one, didn't I? Mm. Probably. It's my job. I make up words. Shakespeare made up words all the time. Yeah, I'm, I'm basically like Shakespeare. <laughs> Six different people with terrible signatures. Right? Yes. But what, the way I've always viewed it is I don't network. I try to be friendly. And if there's an opportunity to make friends with somebody, I just want to make friends with people, right? So when I walk into a convention, I'm just trying to you know, have a good time and uh, meet cool people. Like I like meeting cool people, right? Chris is the biggest introvert in the world. He loves meeting cool people, right? If you know something I don't know, you are really my new friend. Most people know things I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're, if you're approaching it that way and you're not approaching it as this thing of like, oh, what can I meet this person? And what can they do for me? Which is what so many people do. And you just approach it as how can I make some friends? then things are going to go a lot better for you and a lot smoother. You know, early in my career and up to this point, I guess it's not true anymore because I've had to ask people to be on the podcast. But for the first many years of my career, all the anthologies I got to be in, the different publishers, I didn't pitch to any of those. I didn't ask any of them. I never really asked anybody for help. They offered because they liked me. Right. When I got on with Yard Dog Press, it was because I'd been to several conventions with Selena and we'd hit it off and we were friends. And one day she was just like, hey, um, I know you're taking this pretty seriously. And if you would like, my house isn't open. I'm not looking for new authors. But if you have a short story or something, I would read it for you and give you my thoughts and let you know from a professional standpoint what I think. Right. And then at that point, I let my product sort of speak for itself. And obviously she beat it to death. And by the time she was done, well, she literally called me right out of the blue and she goes, Val, that's a Selena. And I go, oh, hey, what's up? And she's like, I got a question for you. And I go, okay. And she says, do you want to be told you're good or do you want to learn? And I said, I want to learn. And she goes, don't give me that line. That's what everybody says. But most of them just want to be told they're good. So if you want to be told you're good, I'll just tell you, you've, you got some chops and I'll leave it at that. And I was like, no, I want to learn. And she goes, okay, great. Well, you messed up. And then she proceeds to tell me like a whole list of things I screwed up on the phone. And then she says, I want you to finish it and I want you to bring it down to the house and I'll go through the whole thing with you line by line. Oh, and we're publishing it, by the way. And so that's how I ended up with Yard Dog. It wasn't I didn't go make a pitch. Same thing with Prose and all the work I've done with them. I don't think uh, what well, I sort of did. I talked to the publisher and I, I said, you know, I see you have some open calls. You know, I've never done this before. And they basically said, give me a, you know, a paragraph on what you think you would do for some of them. And so I picked like five or six and said, this is what I would do for these. And they said, cool, I need one a month for the next six months. So I did them all that month and sent them in. But it's the same thing in all the anthologies and being a guest at these conventions and things has always just been people asking me or inviting me. Right. And it's just because I try to be genuine with everyone. But that's the thing. If you want to if you want to be a guest speaker at these conventions, if you want to you know, go do like the awesome weekend we just had. Just go 
and start meeting people and find the convention people and thank them for their work and what they do. Right. And, but just be genuine about it. Yeah. And it's really not even that hard. I mean, let me back that up a little bit. I know it can be hard. I'm introverted too. And I have to psych myself up for things. But once you get out there and you start giving that energy out and getting it back, it gets easier. And every time you do it, it gets easier. So, you know, SoonerCon's a great one if if you're just sort of needing to stretch your wings a little bit and you want to get out there and and like you said, Phil, meet some people and make some friends. That's that's a really great place to do that. Yeah, that's actually how I got started with SoonerCon. Um, the first few years that I went, it was right after Phil and I got together. He was already a guest at that point. I was not. And the first couple of years, it was just me going with him, meeting people, going to all his panels, socializing as, you know, I'm a big introvert as well meeting new people and socializing isn't one of my strong points until I get a little more comfortable. So as much as I was comfortable doing at that point, but um, I remember this was before they moved to their current hotel. We'd stepped outside for a minute, I think just to like have a, an alone moment for, um, for a minute. Cause you know, getting around a bunch of people can be overwhelming sometimes, but the, I don't think she, was she the con chair at that point or I, I don't remember. So it was, it was Aslan who we mentioned earlier. Um, I don't remember what her role was that year because sometimes it changes. But she had stepped outside as well. And she asked me if I was a writer as well, if I'd be interested in being on panels. Like I didn't ask at all. She, you know, she broached the subject with me. And the next year I was on the paneling and um, happened since then. And like Julie was saying about kind of meeting people, networking, like every year since then, I get better at, you know, feeling more comfortable with people and being more willing to jump into conversations and talk with people. So even as an introvert, like you can still do those things. It may take you a little longer. It felt like it did with me. My first few years as a panelist were very painful. I was not comfortable speaking in front of people at all, but I figured out what works for me. So like for that, it was looking at, okay, these are the panels they put me on. These are the topics. What can I think of right now that I might want to say about these topics? And I'd write them down in a notebook and I take that notebook with me to every single panel. So I've always got my notes right there in front of me. And for other people, it may be something else that helps them on the panels. You just figure out what works for you and continue working on yourself and interacting with people and figuring out basically what makes you comfortable, how you can have it benefit you. That was one of the things that I really like the best about superstars is that they tell you up front that if you are feeling overwhelmed, if you are feeling that like maybe it's a little too much right now, that there is absolutely no shame in putting some space between yourself and the con for a little bit. If you need to go to your room for an hour and chill out, like nobody's going to think anything of that. And it's a small conference that's specifically for writers. And I believe that they're capping attendance at 400. So if you're out there and you're looking for a, a smaller con that is business oriented for writers, I highly recommend the Superstars Conference that happens in Colorado Springs in February. Very welcoming atmosphere, high level of writers. Everybody there wants you to succeed. 
Yeah, it's a great, as far as the business side of writing, I don't think there's anything even equivalent, not that I'm aware of, to get that much from all sides of the business, indie, traditional, all of it. But just going back to panels for a moment, well, one quick tip for people too, is if you are shy about meeting people, one thing that helped me immensely was I took someone with me for the first, I will always, I've always taken somebody with me to all my conventions, right? And that just gives you somebody to be comfortable with, right? So, you you know, run in packs, you don't feel quite as lone. And then, you know, obviously the old thing about hang out at the bar, maybe you're not a drinker though, so maybe that's not really a great place for you, right? But you just mosey around, be nice to people, say hi to people. Cranberry juice. Drink cranberry juice at the bar, whatever. The bar will serve you water, I know from experience. The bar will serve you water, yes. Which is indistinguishable from vodka. <laughs> yeah, that's the cranberry juice is, I don't remember what drink that's supposed to be, but it's vodka and cranberry juice usually. You just get it without the vodka. <laughs> I usually walk up to the bar and I'm like, I need whatever, and then I need something fruity that she'll like, and they make JH something cool that's non-alcoholic usually. I mean, she'll have a drink here or there, but typically she doesn't carry on too heavily. But just going back to panels for a moment, I'll never forget. And it was actually, believe it or not, the convention where JH and I met. And it was a very small convention in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And the first panel, so I was one of like four writers there or something. There wasn't very many of us. And the very first panel had one person in the audience, and it was JH. Yeah. And this was very early for me. So I hadn't, I hadn't been on a lot of panels. I'd been to a lot of conventions. I was not a guest at a ton of them yet. And so I go in and there's like this one pretty girl sitting in the audience. And then there's more of us panelists than there is of audience. And I'm like, okay, this is fine. I can deal with this. This isn't bad. I tried to make a funny joke, but she looked at me like I was a potato. So then I just kind of shut up. No. Anyway, <laughs> left that panel. And a few hours later, we had the next writing panel, right? And I walk in and there's probably seating in that room for like 50 people and every chair was taken and people were standing at the back and wrapped around the walls. And I just, I stepped in and I just stopped and I was like, oh no, this can't be right. And I just stood there for a moment, terrified. And my publisher was sitting behind the table and he was like, you're in the right place. Get on down here. And I was like, oh, no, I can't. Oh, no, what am I going to do, right? And I had this terrible stage fright, worst in my whole life. And I go walking up there and I'm like, what am I going to do? This is going to be awful. And so, you know, people always say this stupid thing about like, well, just imagine the audience naked. Well, when the audience is just a bunch of geeks, no. Also, it doesn't work. It never worked for me. It's a stupid idea. But in that moment, as I sat down at the table a thought formed in my head and it has helped me with public speaking ever since. And it was literally for me, I went, self, you are an idiot and you're going to look like an idiot. There is no way out of this room without embarrassing yourself because that's just what's going to happen. You might as well accept it right now. And so I just immediately accepted the fact that no matter what, I was going to embarrass myself and I was going to look dumb and I was okay with it. And I calmed down and I was able to do a great panel. And that's how I've done everyone ever since then. And I would also tag into what JH said. And when you get your panel schedule, it comes usually with a title and a description. So spend 20 minutes to figure out what 
you might want to talk about on that panel. And a lot of times, even if the moderator asks questions that don't perfectly fit, you can kind of roll them to what you were thinking about anyway. So get out there, go to the cons, meet people, have fun, be cool. Don't be weird. Don't do weird things. Don't try to give people your manuscript. Never ask somebody to read your stuff. Never take your manuscript and do weird things with it. Like there's a, we heard at one of the conventions, there was a big time editor who, you know, went into their hotel room and somebody's manuscript was sitting on their pillow. Guess what's never going to happen? They're never going to publish you. The only thing they're going to publish is a restraining order. <laughs> like, don't do weird stuff. Wow. <laughs> Just be cool. Just be cool. It's fine. Be normal. Or cool. Don't be normal. You don't have to be normal. <laughs> normal is not the right word. Because none of us. I've yet to meet the writer that's normal. I've yet yeah. to meet the con goer that's truly normal. Be weird, but be cool weird. Yeah, don't do creepy stuff like that. No creepy things. Don't be a stalker. Don't stand over Jage's table and stare at her like a potato. It's weird. She doesn't like it, and nobody else does either. It's hard to sell books when a creeper's standing there. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, Julie, tell the people where to find you. You can find me at juliejones.net. And also primarily on Facebook, um, Facebook slash Julie Jones writer. I do technically have a Twitter account, but I'm going to be honest, I am terrible at updating it. So you can look for me and follow me there. Yeah, you'll get better updates on Facebook and my website. Fair enough. JH. I'm at jhfleming.net. Um, also all the different social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Those are kind of the main ones. I'm also on Tumblr. I mentioned Fiverr for the editing. Soon to be on a bunch of different music sites. That's going to be exciting. Cool. And I am Philip Dreyer Duncan. You can find me at philipdreyerduncan.com, the Facebooks, the Twitters. And you can find us all at futurebestsellerpodcast.com, except for Chris. I mean, he's got a box, but it's just a question mark for his head because he doesn't want to talk to you in real life. This is all of him you get. Enjoy it. Don't be greedy. Right, Chris? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hashtag Chris sounds hot and uh, thank you Julie for coming on our podcast and we hope yeah, to see you soon thanks for having me thank I really you. appreciate it yeah. me too thanks alright guys I totally missed a SoonerCon highlight that has to be called out and a shout out I totally missed which is obscene so Friday morning we did that first panel at noon and we came out of that panel and JH and I were walking down the hall and we're passing like the main uh, like auditorium room. And all of a sudden JH shrieks at me, which doesn't happen unless like she's being attacked by ninjas. <laughs> and I turn to see what's up and she's like running into the auditorium room. And I'm like, what the hell could be in there that would have her that excited? So I poke my head around the corner and I see the unpronounceable Irish band who plays at the Ren Fair every mm -hmm. year. And they were there performing at SoonerCon and they had a room full of people dancing. And JH shows she has like a her legs like kind of bummed right now. So she's got like a strained calf. 
But she like looks back at me. She's like, they're doing the Korobushka. Hurry. <laughs> and they just finished teaching the Korobushka. <laughs> and uh, they were getting ready to start it in earnest. And so we just ran up and jumped in. And the instructor was like, oh, do you guys know this? And JH is like, yes. And then they fired it up. So we did our first panel and then immediately did a Korobuska. And then, uh, yeah, that was awesome. Yes. And we love uh, we love the unpronounceable Irish band. Are they actually named the unpronounceable Irish band? Their name is actually Bailukyol, which means music collection in Irish. Um, but as you can understand, Irish can be hard to pronounce sometimes. So when they're out in public, they call themselves the unpronounceable Irish band. Which is fine. I'm never going to forgive you for Eileen, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they actually play at the um, Ren Fair every year. So the Muskogee Renaissance Festival has a um, kind of medieval dance show. It does multiple times a day. And the Unpronounceable Irish Band is the band that plays the music at those dance shows. So um, that's what we knew them from. Because before my Music Gathering novels came out, the main place you would find me at the Ren Fair was at the dance field. Um, for there, like they used to do it in the castle in the morning and then the Maypole all the other times. I think they switched to just the Maypole now. But that's where we were pretty much every single time a dance show was going on. So was that the dance they were doing that you said was your favorite that you couldn't stay for? It was one of them. So my top favorite is actually one called Hole in the Wall, but the Kurabushka is a really close second. And thank God JH's book came out because nobody needs that much cardio <laughs> in Oklahoma in the early summer. I don't know why. Unfortunately, they have um, Music the Gathering shows. So books came out. I need to be there to, you know, obviously I'm the author promoting my books. Plus, Music the Gathering is freaking awesome. And I love all their music and I want to watch them anyway. Um, yeah, for some reason, their shows um, are almost always at the same time as the dance shows are really close, like, you know, maybe 15 minutes offset or something like that. So don't get to dance as much anymore since the books came out. Darn. <laughs> and I'll give a little sneak preview that uh, maybe our audience will get to know how cool some members of Music the Gathering are very soon, like in two weeks. And also next week's guest is legendary crime fiction writer Gary Phillips. Oh, so Ooh. cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was that a boo, Julie? <laughs> I thought it was a no boo. I want to be on again. <laughs> My time will come again. It will for sure. Thank you, Julie. You are one of our favorite people. Thank you so we much. So I love you guys. You Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right. That's that's a podcast. Yeah. 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 All right, uh, creatives on fire. Let's do it. Creatives on fire. Burns when I pee. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, that has got to be a recurring soundbite now. It has to. I Charlie horsed a rib muscle over that. Wow. Oh, my God.
That was right. payback for uh, the uh, everyone's favorite luggage, Phil. <laughs> oh, I thought the luggage one was nice. I thought today was meaner. No, 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 it was nice. I just I laughed so hard at that I couldn't freaking do anything for five minutes. <laughs> I, I get fat. <laughs> um, creatives on creatives on fire. We're, we're gonna we're gonna talk about creatives on fire. Um, I need a moment, dear listener. <laughs> I don't know how much of this. I, uh, I don't know. I don't know how much of this Chris is going to leave in. I can't wait to find out. But uh, our our whole show has gone so far off the rails right now. Um, wow. <laughs> you know, last episode might have been the most I laughed. This is definitely the hardest I laughed on the show. Uh, Alrighty. <laughs> 